you know the desires and the joys and the sorrows of each heart and life as we gather here. Please may I not get in the way of what you are wanting to say, but in everything we bring glory to your name through Christ our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Thank you, Paul, for your welcome. It's always a great joy and privilege to preach God's word and a daunting prospect. But I really do mean this. It's a particular joy to be here in Christ Church Fullwood. For anyone who preaches from this pulpit, you can see lots of people and the organ and the style of the building. But what catches my eye is that plaque. Because as a seven-year-old, that reveals my age, I remember in my home church of Christ Church, Claughton, a young man called Laurie Sheath, as curate, being prayed for as he moved to be vicar of Christ Church, Fullwood. And such things stick in your mind. And Laurie Sheath, though I really hardly knew him, but we continued to pray for him in Birkenhead as he was ministering here in Sheffield. And it's interesting to me to see that this South Isle was apparently created in his time, but other things have no, no doubt gone on since then. And of course that's right, because God is always leading his church, even in matters physical, though more particularly in matters spiritual and in service and in witness in, in, in his world. So it really is a great joy and uh, brings back memories of far too long than I care to admit, but there we are. Let's look together at God's word, shall we, in Luke chapter 6. Judges and judgments are very much in the news this week when I heard the seven o'clock news this morning the opening words of the newscaster was there hasn't been much good news for judges this week are they too lenient are they too harsh are politics interfering with the judiciary or are judges trying to cock a snook at a government or at public opinion? Well, frankly, we can all have an opinion on that, and Christians should be engaged in all these sort of matters, but Jesus is not in the business in this passage of whether a previously convicted paedophile gets just deserts at the hands of the judiciary and legislators. He is talking about, our Lord is talking about, how you and I behave outwardly and inwardly towards everybody else. This passage is very much day-to-day -day business. And this week, every single one of us will only be kidding ourselves 
if we're not caught up in making judgments whether we like it or not. We might like to call it, of course, well, it's forming opinions, if only to try and avoid an uneasy feeling with regard to the straight talk of our Lord Jesus. We're looking in this passage as a whole, and indeed what Jesus is on about in what Luke really calls the Sermon on the Plain, compared to similar passages in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel, about consistency of behavior. Consistency of behavior. Behavior that reflects the way God would have us behave. Have you heard the slogan, WWJD? What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? For too often, we take as our standards whatever we may hear on Sunday or at other times in church by how we measure up to others. But my sisters and brothers in Christ, our plumb line, our measure, isn't each other. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And although it's helpful, I do not deny, to have some sort of guideline from flesh and blood around us, we must always test that against Jesus. And we need to beware, for many Christians will not always stand four square in the light of the teaching of this passage, which comes out of the overall exhortation, which you'll have looked at last week or earlier, about loving enemies. Loving enemies. For it is a great truth of human nature that we most easily spot a fault in others that is actually our own Achilles' heel. And it's so easy to leave to blame another simply because of their apparent fault or my over-rapid response to his or her behaviour when it resonates with something subconscious in myself. The moat in the eye of the other when I have a similar besetting problem that by comparison is half a full-grown tree. To combat this and avoid the trap of misjudging others, or at the very least accusing them of faults that are so minute in them and so great in us, we need the grace of God the Holy Spirit to give us such self-knowledge. For Jesus has saved us, alleluia, in order to make us truly human. And in being truly human, we will get to have a good self-knowledge. And the test of us all is our conduct and conversation. And that is that we should pattern our life on that of Christ, who tells us that God is kind to the unthankful, the ungrateful, as well as to the grateful, the just and the unjust. It's a challenging verse, verse 35. 
Yet we're called to be like that if we profess as disciples of Jesus. I, I know there was supposed to be a confirmation this morning, but I do sometimes really what would say when I have that privilege that it's such a wonderful free gift of salvation but the annual subscription is everything and that is demanding and difficult at times as you and I know only too well but there's an awful lot in all of us that want to water it down I remember once when I was, had the privilege of conducting a mission in a parish. I was actually an archdeacon at the time. Yes, archdeacons do conduct missions, Paul, occasionally. Yes, God is a God of miracles. Um, and at the end of the week of conducting that mission, a church warden, no less, came up to me and said, I've been trying to listen very carefully to all that's gone on this week and what you've been trying to say, blah, blah, blah. He said, if I'm going to take this seriously, Archdeacon, I'm going to give up, have to give up one of my hobbies. And we then had to talk about missing the whole point, didn't we? Because we're not talking about hobbies. That we do at 11 o'clock or 9.30 or whatever it is on a Sunday morning and perhaps once a week at a house group or whatever it may be. But a way of life. And as I said to Paul in the vestry beforehand, before, very graciously, we, we prayed for, uh, and they prayed for me, thank God. I find this, these passages exceedingly challenging. For I'll tell you now, the one who seeks to expound the word of God is found wanting. Because these are very demanding. As I've thought about this passage, it's helped me to think about that best story that, of many best stories that perhaps Jesus ever told the parable of the two sons and the loving father found later of course in this gospel in chapter 15 I, it helps me I hope it helps you here for we recall in that story the father shows his love to both sons even though one behaves unforgivably in asking for his inheritance, virtually saying to, a fa to the father, you're as good as dead to me. Because in the culture, he would only get the inheritance when his father died. And the other being so goody-goody, self-righteous, and only too ready to point out the failing, and the failings, exaggerating them, of course, if you read the passage carefully of his erstwhile younger brother and pointing out to his father not that he that erstwhile prodigal is his brother but he's your son and yet the father does not condemn either but simply wants to welcome them with their tree-sized faults stuck in their eyes into his, i.e. God's party and celebration. May I at this point commend, at least to some of you, a book which 
I think is one of the most remarkable I've ever read, and I've only read it this year. I um, sometimes, in the privilege of doing this job, have, when I've been with a group of clergy, have played a little game called Desert Island Books. Which eight books, apart from the Bible and Shakespeare and all that, would you take on a desert island? Well, this one has had to mean that one of the eights had to drop off in my list. Because in this passage, much of, as I say, of the passage is so disturbingly challenging. Because, and, and demanding that I need something to help me think through some of the issues here that I can pick up, put down, and pick up again. How I can live cheek by jowl with others. How I can give and receive and forgive and be forgiven. And what repentance really means. We as evangelicals are very, very keen on this business of repentance and indeed forgiveness. It's at the heart of our theology and hallelujah for that. But it's a mighty subject. The book, as you may be able to see, is called Free of Charge. It's by a professor at Yale University, but he's not an American. He's actually a Croatian called Miroslav Volf. And he writes this book largely based on his experiences of living through the breakup of Yugoslavia in the early 1990s. Those are the experiences and some of the horrific and horrendous stories that he tells. All war is terrible. Even more terrible is civil war. And that, of course, is what he lived through. It happened to be the Archbishop of Canterbury's Lent book for this year, hence the fact that I bought it. Perhaps at first out of a sense of, well, I always buy the Archbishop of Canterbury's Lent book, and I have to say, for the most part, they're very good. But it's a book that links giving with forgiving, and both with repentance. And it's deeply rooted, thank God, in Scripture. It's a demanding read. It's not a book, if you're anything like me, that you can start at page one and read through to page 250, whatever it is. But it is a book which is helpfully divided into sections on the issues raised in this passage by our Lord, at least some of them, and which I have found very helpful. But now, back to our passage. In these verses, Jesus gives us four pictures. Note what Jesus does in his teaching. I'm sure you know this well. He either illustrates with a story, or he gets a deep point across by pictures. 
by either story or pictures. We have blind men falling into the ditch. We have, as I've already touched on, the moat and the beam. We have the good tree and the bad tree, and we have the good treasure uh, uh, and the evil treasure. Four tiny little pictures, but with so much to teach us. First, two blind people trying to guide each other, and they fall into a ditch. Jesus here, I believe, is saying, beware of other teachings that may sound good, but end up leaving you in stuck, in the ditch one way or another. You cannot take someone safely where you have not been yourself. No teacher can take a student into an area of a subject if the teacher does not know what he or she is talking about. In Jesus' day, it's no good, says Jesus, studying with the Pharisees, because all that will happen is you'll end up like another Pharisee. Seek good teachers who will lead you on in the faith. And that's another cause for me to be thankful to Christ Church Fullwood. The second picture is the speck of dust and the log, or more familiarly to those of my generation, the moat and the beam, which I've already touched on. Can I see clearly where to lead? Let alone criticize someone else, something that at some point, as I say, we're all going to be caught up in probably many times this week. This is a classic case of what psychologists, I understand, call projection. As I have intimated, the person knows there's a serious problem in themselves, but quickly picks it up in some minute way in someone else and points the finger. Jesus wants them to avoid the Pharisees' teaching. Why? Because they were a group intent on making Israel in their own way holier, and that's not altogether a bad thing. That's one of the things we have to wrestle with. Not all bad and good, not all black and white, but it's this middle area where we have to sort things out. But by so doing, they were separating Israel from the rest of the world, the other nations, what in the, in the epistles and acts, the Gentiles, whilst God's primary purpose from Abraham onwards was that the chosen people should be a light to the nations, attracting people to God, not saying tick all the boxes and then you can join. In that respect, the Pharisees had a massive plank of disobedience in their eye. Disobedience to God's clear calling from Abraham onwards, and then sending their time and energy picking holes in minor failures of legalities and keeping the law. And then next, we have the good tree. It's such a simple picture that I hardly need comment on it. We don't, 
as my version puts it, pick figs from thorns or grapes from bramble bushes. But it all goes back to the root of the plant itself. Where is the root of the plant itself? Likewise, the treasure in the heart. For that's where Jesus says, our treasure really ought to be to seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. And that's why, but I mustn't venture into next week, we shall see this when we look at the two houses built on rock and sand. Because these pictures say what's going on in the real inside. Because that is what produces good fruit, good treasure. Make sure we get rid of beans in the eye and enables us to see so we don't fall into ditches. So my friends, what might be the equivalent for us today? Are we prone to fuss about small details while missing the greater picture? But we protest that they are major issues. Yet we sometimes are in danger of missing the real call of God. This can apply to each of us as individuals and to the wider body of Christ, locally, nationally, internationally. Now there is nothing wrong with dealing with the small detail. The story ends up, actually, if you look carefully, with the removal of the speck after all. But first, let's deal with the real issue. And in this instance, within myself, with each one of us. So the question remains, are we so bothered about specks that we miss the planks and so fall into the ditch? Do the plans and projects we have for doing God's work look so good on the outside, but they have no real roots in the heart of God and his love and purpose for us? Are we driven by Jesus in his teaching in these verses to each of us? As we are driven by Jesus in his teaching in these verses to each of us, we must maintain the generous, free-spirited approach of the complete sermon. For here we have a rule of life that will give us consistency. But it is demanding, and for 2,000 years, people have continually tried to water down and find alternatives and make it easy. But that way, as I think you will find next Sunday, leads to a house collapsing, a life in, in disintegration. So build on the rock. The rock that is Jesus and his way and teaching for us. And as a start, I couldn't help but feel, as I got dressed this morning and shaved, that a mirror is quite a good agent for each one of us. So we look at ourselves. So my sisters and brothers in Christ, may God bless you so abundantly that you may be filled richly with the knowledge of God and his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And that so that you may continue to lead lives worthy of his calling and bearing fruit 
in every good work as you grow in the knowledge of God. Amen.